Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in a rather empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Tina Fotherby, Director of Famous Publicity, a firm that promotes the ideas of a mix of specialists. Tina, hello. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the show today. Um, We must address the elephant in the room to begin with. How has your business been affected by COVID-19? Good question. Um, So far, so good, partly because um, of good planning. We tend to work with about a three-month notice period and also have a good um, view of what's coming up. Mm. Um, We also have an unusual situation where we have a client who is in the digital space called Zapnito, who are actually looking to assist businesses who are having to cancel live events and then convert them into community events, which is an opportunity. But to be completely honest, um, it is uncharted territory. Um, It is unusual. And my view is that we have to take a hard look at things on a week-by-week basis. Of course. I should actually state the obvious point that um, my business is about promoting brands through the media. And um, whilst the trade and professional media um, are obviously, um, they have um, a slightly different agenda in terms of the consumer media, TV, radio, etc. Unless your story is linked to coronavirus or you've got a fantastically heartwarming good story and it's very difficult to have any cut through right and literally we're finding that we had a client who was due to go to on go on to loose women with icd program and that's now postponed us today so um the practicalities mean that um one needs to be very very flexible very open-minded and to be fair um i think in these um you know, unprecedented times, we have to say to ourselves, how important is the contract? Because it's all very well having a contract with your client. But if your clients are in a very difficult situation, and you want to continue to do business with them once things improve, then you have to be flexible. Of course. Now, let's talk a bit about uh, how uh, leadership is involved with this. So obviously, yeah. decisions need to be made. Uh, arrangements need to be drawn up. Uh, how did you uh, lead your business from being an office-based business to being a business that is working primarily from one's own home? Well, um, the first thing is that um, we're fortunate that we have a good setup. We have a very good IT setup. Um, so we have um, all of our documents obviously in the cloud as well as being um, having physical backups on hard drives. Um, the nature of digital transformation, you know, it's not much a buzzword as everyone really has to do it. Um, so all of my team are very uh, literate. There has to be a lot of trust, actually. That's one of the key things working from home. Mm. Um, you know, you have to accept that um, it is, different to being in an office and um, with my teams it's a case of either replicating the hours in the typical day which are quite sensible at 9 to 5 30 or saying if you have a bit of flexibility if you need to be 
um, away and have some time away from the desk for a couple of hours in the day, that's absolutely fine. You can catch up the time later on. Um, so the key thing is, I think, is having structure and having trust, having to communicate to the client very well um, what we're doing. Now, at the moment, I'm actually speaking to you from an office, which is a very spacious office in a rural location. And um, basically, there, I have more space here than I have at home. Um, and I particularly am one of these old-fashioned people who really likes the structure of being away from the home. Mm. Having said that, um, I more than you know, given the changing environment we're in, um, I'm going. I know that I need to be keeping an eye on things out of work hours a little bit more than one would normally find. But really, the key thing is that you want to have a happy working environment with the people who you employ. And one of the ways of doing that is very simply having action lists at the start of the week and um, reviewing those, letting people um, do what they need to do and continuing to keep the clients informed as to what's happening. And my view very strongly last week was it's business as usual unless we're told otherwise. Now, obviously, in terms of self-isolation, if needed, if people are ill or being stuck at home, that is the case of... Um, still business as usual. Um, and depending on the client needs, it depends on, on how normal business is. Um, at the moment, we're very, very busy. But at the same time, um, I'm not assuming that that's going to be the case in two or four weeks' time. Right. Well, let's subject uh, shift uh, more broadly to the aspects of leadership in general. Now, yes. I always like to start off these conversations normally by asking our guests, what does the word leadership mean to them? So have a crack at it. <laughs> okay. Um, I would say leadership to me means um, at the moment, I'd say very much so having resilience. And I think resilience comes with good planning. And the nice thing about being in business is up to a point you can plan. You know, you can plan who you choose to work with. You can plan the work you do. Um, I think now the important thing is being able to communicate well. Um, this is needed more than ever because um, people are more dependent on knowing what is happening. And I think also it's very important to me, a good leader is somebody who is calm they can be passionate in their views, but calmness is really helpful. Also somebody who is open and doesn't make quick, rash decisions that can have um, ripple effects. So I have to say that all of last week, you know, I felt extremely calm and very, um, very much um, business as usual. And then heard the news and the announcement on Friday and then said to myself, I need to really think about this and what impact that's going to have on our clients and other areas. But key thing for me is that a leader is supportive of people mm -hmm. um, and if a leader will be able to communicate in such a way that they, the feedback they get is more likely to be positive and upbeat than, than if they frame what they say in a negative way. And my view is that people, you know, there's a carrot or the stick mentality. The carrot, I'd always go for the carrot, not the stick mentality in management. 
because if you can encourage people to come along with you and share your optimism, then you will get through the most difficult, darkest periods of business. Well, let's talk a bit about that carrot and stick. Um, of course, yes. conflict is uh, inevitable. Uh, people yes. are not infallible. Sometimes they don't perform up to scratch and sometimes they get into conflict with each other. How do you resolve those issues within your business? Well, it's a good one. Um, at the moment, I haven't got those issues. I have. I can be honest and say I have in the past. And um, one thing I'd say is, to realise that we're all fallible. I've made lots of mistakes in my working life. Um, and I've always found that whenever I've just faced up to them and admitted that I've made a mistake and asked to work out a way to resolve it in an earlier part of my career, um, it's always worked out. I find some very um, help. I've always been very warm and helpful towards people who admit they've made a mistake because actually that is halfway to solving the problem. And in some cases, you have to help them find the answer. Um, again, the good thing about being in business is very often you can get an answer which has a commercial answer. In other words, um, if you look at the look at the business issue or look at the issue that you have from a commercial perspective, mm-hmm. then usually people are far more willing to understand that and to be appreciative and supportive than if you deal with it in a personal way. So to give an example, many years ago, I was working in an agency and we lost a a significant client and that had a very big impact on a number of people who we had to let go, which was a very unpleasant experience. However, by giving them the financial information and explaining the financial situation, they realised that it was not their fault. It was actually just the way you have to roll with the punches um, in the world of PR agency where you've got you know big high-earning clients, which can be great news, but it can also be very bad news when they choose to find that they want to work with somebody else. Right. And the same company um, will automatically, in most cases, change their agency every three or four years. And it's great when the going's good and it's very tough when things move on. So I find that that's very, very helpful. So in terms of them understanding from an economic point of view, they realize that they've, they are good, they've done a good job and giving them the tools that they need to, to get another job in the future. So giving them the support that they need. Well, Tina, the one thing that we need but we don't have is more time. Unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its <laughs> close. Uh, but before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store for Famous Publicity? Thank you. The next 12 months, I can guarantee that um, I will still be here. The agency will still be busy. We will have um, continue to work with some very, very good clients. And um, we will be looking optimistically to assisting those businesses that um, really want to make a difference. And by that, I mean businesses who are doing good within the business community. Well, Tina, it has been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. And I very much hope that you come back on the program when all this is over. Uh, Tina, thank thank you. you. Thank you. That was Tina Falterby, Director of Famous Publicity. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. 
Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership are going to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she could reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from... Uh, for uh, candidates a little further left um, than them who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I could think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in. But how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Th those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work 
forever, I think, in the next 20 years, uh, an aging population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly. It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp- speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that. The contribution to uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Oh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister... And I I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority Mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. 
Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities, they know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all from time to time feel like really losing our temper and I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't how, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's how, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you they compliment you people who have complementary skills to you are really valuable and I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm -hmm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game. Well, everyone knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after week. No, I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good About Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it's change, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're, not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then you lose 5-0 at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in the situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again yeah, well i'm a chelsea fan so i'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute um <laughs> but i would like to pick up on another point you just made actually david about choosing a strong team people that compliment you a lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened mm. and I imagine I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world 
you can pronounce on what you're going to do. But if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for, a, mm. for a, a, an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, these all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Yeah, quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you. Whether you're in public service, the charities or you're driving a business that actually says this is why I get up in the morning so you've got to have something internal to yourself the, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being egotistical there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better and that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they... they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Centre mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognise, which is why 
being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind. That, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour Leadership Contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit, uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January? And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in, indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020... Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019 uh, and that that's got to be Lisa Nandy or, or Kia on on the, um, the the next few months I think that the government will probably do quite well I I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my f family and loved ones, is football and, and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us God today. God bless you, Jonathan. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.